Welcome to the X29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. Well, welcome to another episode of the X29 Podcast, and I am your host, Jeff Metters. And I want to let you know, listeners, that we are still taking questions from you. And so whether you're posting them on Facebook or you're sending them in through our social media or emailing to podcast at x29.com. That is the best way we could get your questions. So we've answered questions from a couple of listeners so far. We have another one this morning that we want to tackle with our guest that we're welcoming to the show today, Ryan Kearns, who's the executive pastor at Stonegate Church there in Midlothian, Texas. Ryan, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Good to be with you and love the work that you're doing and uh, always good to have a conversation with you. Oh, man, it's it's good to see you. Um, always love. I and mean, we were talking just before the show about life and ministry. And I as I always love talking with you. I, I could talk with you for hours of, uh, about stuff. Then I was like, oh, yeah, we have a podcast to, to record. So let's let, let's jump into that. OK, so Stonegate yeah, for our listeners, Stonegate Church is in Midlothian, Texas. And I'm sure everybody knows where where that is. Yeah, um, absolutely. So what, what's the best way you would describe where where Midlothian or Midlow as uh, the, the, the locals actually call it Midlow? Midlow, the trendy ones do all the Californians that move here. So, yeah, <laughs> they're usually calling it that. Uh, we are at the bottom of DFW. So if you look at the thing of the Metroplex of Dallas and Fort Worth in Ellis County at the very bottom of uh, the Metroplex is Midlothian. And we're kind of right in the middle of a, a number of different cities around here from Cedar Hill to Waxahachie to Midlothian and uh, have a good number of folks coming from all those those communities around us. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are in the Southern DFW area or any of those places that Ryan mentioned, or you have family out there, I really want to encourage you to go uh, check out Stonegate Church. If you don't have a church, uh, you don't have a church family that you're a part of and that you're receiving help and encouragement and counsel and you're on mission together and community, definitely go to Stonegate at stonegate.church is where you can find more information. But I love the, I love y'all's mission statement. It's probably one of my favorite mission statements um, out, out of like all the churches I've seen and uh, I've been able to serve with you guys on a few Sundays and some youth events and stuff. But enjoy Jesus, make disciples. Um, or did I get it backwards? Is it the other way? Make disciples? No, you Jesus? got it. Okay. Yeah, just keeping it real simple. The main thing, the main thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I remember, I remember the first time I saw it and I was like, well, yeah, I like both of these things. Um, yeah. I want to enjoy Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, and it has a way too of just cutting through some of the cultural Christianity of reframing it of uh, you know just using some of the same words that we're always using, but instead of uh, uh, just the idea of uh, you, Jesus is a person to be enjoyed. Yeah, and so we want to cultivate communion and union with Christ and, and see you enjoy Him along the way. Yeah, it's such. I mean, I just love the way you even just said it right now is because sometimes I'll interact with pastors and their churches and doing some coaching or, or hearing guys at assessment and talking about mission and vision and whatever. And we too frequently talk about Jesus in the past tense. Um, like Jesus was kind, you know, Jesus was a person that uh, loves us and like, whoa, 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 Jesus is a person. Jesus is alive. He can be enjoyed and loved and uh, walked with right now, this very moment. So I, I love that so much. Amen. Amen. That's good. Well, Ryan, we got you on here um, to talk about executive pastors, something you know a lot about, um, something you work in every single day and you help guys with. But before we do that, I mentioned at the top of the show that we want to do some some questions. And so John Wethington, who's a pastor here in Houston, shout out to John, another H-Town guy, go Rockets. Um, he he sent in a question on Facebook. And so let's, let's tackle this real quick. Very let's short, very simple. He said, building a strong staff team, parentheses, on a budget. 
And so that's every every church uh, has a budget. Some are larger, some are smaller. But what, what are your um, how would you counsel and, and coach John on building a strong staff team? You know, I actually think that's when you have the best chance to build a really great staff team. Uh, you know, people are much more attracted to vision than they are even uh, a paycheck. So if your vision is strong, if it's compelling, if it's robust, um, that's really going to pull people's hearts in a way that often uh, a paycheck can't even replicate or produce in and of itself. So creating moments of camaraderie, giving people uh, real leadership and an opportunity to use the gifts that God's given them. Um, is a wonderful way that even when you don't have all the dollars to build a, a big ministry team, that you're still going to see people's hearts come alive and participate. You know, I actually think one of the, the challenges of a church is they get more resources is they become less resourceful. And even a church that gets larger, uh, you want to maintain that church planter's mindset and edge. And what does a church planter have? Uh, a church planter has a compelling vision, hopefully. And if you're able to captivate and to influence people's hearts and minds uh, with that vision. I think you have a great opportunity to get people to commit and to buy in in a very significant way, uh, even when you don't have all the dollars that you think you need. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. You mentioned something briefly in there about that made me think about building culture. And, um, you know, I think sometimes for guys, it feels pretty nebulous. Um, I think it feels nebulous if you're in a mediocre culture. But I think if you're a part of a great church culture, great staff culture, you know it. And then you also know it if you're part of a bad, uh, unhealthy staff culture. And so being able to hang out with you guys and with Rodney and Jimmy um, and some of the other leaders there uh, at Stonegate, you guys seem to have a great culture. Um, what, what are some of your your tips or things that you guys have done um, to build a, a fun, um, healthy, vibrant uh, staff culture there at Stonegate? Yeah, I think one of the things you want to do is define it. So define your culture in a way that you can articulate it and uh, be able to communicate that to people that are coming in. I think one of the most loving things you can do people for people when they're joining your team or going to sign up with your church is give them a really clear picture of who you are. And it's okay in some ways to define like, here's who we are and here's who we're not. I think a lot of teams get into trouble when you moralize um, everything um, along the way. And instead of us, we're just saying, hey, here's the the, the kind of team we want to be. Uh, here's what it looks like to, to thrive here on our team. So some of the things we'll talk about is just developing a set of, of axioms or leadership behaviors and just saying, these are the things that we want to be known for and the ways that you can expect us to relate and that are also accountable for everyone up, down, and all around. So we're just trying to build out a culture of uh, of mutual respect and submission to one another, but also being really clear and defining that uh, as a team together. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. I and I, I'm assuming there's all kinds of ways that churches could approach the the um, the building of a of a staff team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hiring from out, uh, hiring from within, uh, recruiting volunteers, uh, whatever the case may be. But what are some things that you guys do to to develop your to develop staff? Is it conferences? Is it resources? Is it trainings? Is there growth plans? I mean, I don't know. I know there's churches do all kinds of different things, but what are some things you guys have done? Yeah. You know, I, I think there's obviously all sorts of great content and uh, content is is key, but I, I, and I think it's necessary, but I don't think it's sufficient. I really think most of the true development happens uh, when you're willing to actually give people uh, specific and timely and constructive feedback. You know, um, adults for the most part are our need to know learners. So we're going to learn things uh, when we actually need to know them. 
And the closer we can actually marry up and match up uh, feedback moments that feel normal instead of punitive or consequential, uh, that has a way of actually just shaping a culture of development for us. So it's, you know, sometimes I think we overcomplicate it, but good development really just starts with saying, here's a piece of content, here's a piece of information, here's an experience we can have together, and then here's some feedback we can give about it. And you keep running that loop over and over and over again and creating a culture and teams and environments where that feels normal and just to be expected, you eventually find yourself with a really healthy development culture along the way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, But, you know, I, I think one of the things that makes it challenging in church is uh, a lot of us struggle with being clear and mm. clarity can sometimes feel like it's not nice. And, you right. know, we all want to be very nice and we all want to be really kind. But I think the more we can realize that giving people good feedback and uh, giving them honest feedback and timely feedback is actually a really loving thing to do. But I think most leaders need to resolve that and settle that in their souls if they're going to lead effectively and truly develop people. Yeah. Um, and that's hard. I mean, I get it. I, there's moments where I want to wuss out and not have the, mo- the moment of accountability or feedback. But I also know when I'm doing that, I'm actually taking growth from that person just because mm. I'm afraid of having a meaningful conversation. Man, man, that is, we could do a whole episode just on that. And yeah. what <laughs> there is so much uh, that happens in our hearts when we don't want to give the honest feedback of either Hey, you actually didn't preach the gospel in this sermon at all. Um, or you, this ministry event did not serve people well. Um, it was poorly planned or whatever. It was bad stewardship. Um, and when we don't do that, the idols in our hearts, the, the fear, the fear of man, uh, that's clearly something the apostle Paul didn't struggle with. Um, he's very clear in his letters and very clear to Timothy and so encouraging, uh, fan into flame the gift you have. Um, yeah. you know, and you know what a lot of leaders do in that moment too, is they actually just begin to store up a level of resentment or frustration at that person. And, uh, over time we just begin to like move away from them or distance ourselves from them. And that person can actually feel that they can feel like, why is my leader moving or distancing themselves from me? Why are they storing up their frustration? And really that's on the leader. If the leader's not going to have the courage, uh, to talk to, uh, the people that they're having the issue with or give them the feedback. I mean, it's like, well, who's really at fault here? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good word. And I think I think that's also helpful uh, for the question that Johnson and uh, another key to building a strong staff team. Uh, yeah, the vision, uh, having compelling, um, you know, mission for the church um, and clarity, culture, clarity, clarity all, all these things together are so good. So, so John, thank yeah. you for sending in that question. Uh, listeners, sure. again, you can send them to podcast at acts29.com or you can send them in via social media and we would love to tackle these with our guests and we and we got a bunch of questions but i try to pick them for the for the guests that we have on today and i knew this would be a great question for ryan uh so ryan thanks for thanks for doing that brother okay i love it all right we wanted to talk about executive pastors Um, obviously in x29 we are not a network of just lead pastors we are not a pastor's club we are a network of churches and we partner with churches all around the world to plant churches that are evangelistic, that make disciples. And we also know that there are other roles in the church that that happen. And so right now, especially in North America, um, we know that, that are, there are a lot of roles on the church staff. And one of them is executive pastor. And it's so often I hear guys say, man, we, we need an XP. Oh, man, you got, do you know anybody that could be a good XP for our church? And so sometimes people hear XP and they're like, what does that mean? Is that a Fortnite experience coin? Like, what are, what are we talking about here? Um, yeah. So executive <laughs> pastor. So Ryan, just simply, what are they? 
Yeah, you know, I it, it's funny, depending on the day you ask me and how I would describe it, but I think generally speaking, it's someone on your team who you can count on as your church increases in size and complexity and sometimes uh, management needs to keep things aligned that is able to get things done and is able to take the vision of a church and implement it and execute it. So um, a lot of church planters, and I was a church planter like you myself, planted a church and did all that. Um, I think as a church planter, what you often are fueled by and the calling looks like is you are great at A to Z. You know where you are right now and you know how you want to like transform your entire city. So you've got like the big vision along the way. But where church planters, when I'm doing coaching and consulting with them, most often get tripped up is not A to Z, but from A to C. So how am I going to take that first step? I've got 30 people and how do I get to 70 and how do I organize these 70 people and how do I turn this 70 people into a, a congregation rather than just a crowd? And so all of those great plans and prospectuses and vision statements that, you know, a church planner is going to come up with and, and praise God for it. It's all necessary and important work, but how are they actually going to implement those things? And also, uh, you know, just one of the things I underestimated when I was church planting was just the uh, ministry can be a grind. There's a nature to it where Sunday just keeps coming. And a lot of visionary leaders uh, can find themselves struggling sometimes to just run the fundamentals, stay true to the basics and have someone who can implement and execute to make sure you keep yeah. your strategy going along the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good word. And I think like guys can sometimes have a um, an over spiritualizing of of the roles be like, well, you know, we don't really need to focus on systems and strategies and we just got to preach the gospel and just love people. And like, well, yes and no. Yeah, we got, of course, we're, gonna not, we're not going to stop preaching the gospel and loving people. But you notice in Acts chapter six, when the, uh, the Greek widows are being overlooked, it's a, it wasn't a theology problem. It wasn't a uh, preaching problem. It was a systems problem. And the apostles realized, oh, we need to develop systems here that are going to make sure everyone is served well. And they instituted these guys, got them involved, and the boom, they started serving. I mean, so we see like there are categories for having other kinds of leaders to help get the ministry done. And I think executive pastor is a, is a great function for, for those yeah. kinds of things. And you know, to that point, I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners have uh, read Trellis and Vine. I think that's such a beautiful yeah. uh, picture of, of what we're talking about. Like, of course, at the end of the day, all that we're doing here is uh, to create a, a wonderful flourishing vine. Uh, but in order for a vine to flourish, it has to have a great trellis. That's right. And so there is trellis work that's going on. I also think too, like just looking around at the world we that the Lord's made, uh, this world is filled with system systems. Uh, we live in a solar system. Uh, I have a nervous system in <laughs> yeah, my body. Right. I have a certain, I mean, all these systems that make up, uh, now we don't worship the systems. I don't actually even admire the systems most of the time, but I am sure thankful that they're in the background sustaining and supporting the life that we so enjoy and uh, want to see more of. Man, that's so true. I mean, God loves systems. The Old he Testament does. sacrificial system. Uh, yes. I mean, he, yeah. he is not anti-anti-system. Um, so, okay, let's, let's do like one little caveat here because maybe you grew up in a church and I, I did grow up in a church where they didn't have an executive pastor, but they had an associate pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, are these the same Is it, you know, is there a difference between someone having maybe an associate pastor than having an executive pastor? Like how, how do you coach guys on the differences of these things? Yeah, I think it's a great question. So I actually think, um, the, the, 
the title executive pastor, I've seen it like just broadly applied. I'll walk in or talk to a church um, that's got like 120 people in there using that title. And I, I think it's um, it's a little premature in that moment uh, to, to say, I, I really want something, someone to come in and, and be an executive of sorts. And that gets into conversations too of like, what's the proper time for a church planter to begin to elevate? And I think some of them actually elevate way too soon and want to hand off way more of their work uh, prematurely to someone else when they should be much more still down in the weeds in the thick of it. Uh, as I said before, just running the basics and running the plays along the way. Uh, an associate pastor, I think, is uh, often that role, too, of someone who maybe has aspirations or desires to move into a lead uh, role at some point or a senior pastor role. Uh, I think an executive pastor isn't necessarily a way station or a stopping point on the way to lead pastor, but rather someone who's saying, uh, based on the gifts and the the, uh, the callings and the ambitions that the Lord has for me, I'm actually perfectly content with what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. I'm fulfilled in it, and it's not a, a stopping station on the way to lead pastor, but yeah. rather it's it's the role actually I want to carry out and do. Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's talk about that for a second. This is one of the things I was I was curious about. What do you yeah. think is the personality or or the talent gift makeup of an executive pastor? Because I'm sure, like, obviously you're you're an XP and you're a good Bible teacher too. You're a good you're a good preacher. Um, and so some guys maybe think like, well, I'm a good preacher and God's gifting me for that. Maybe I shouldn't have that kind of role. Um, so yeah. like, if you were to make the, you know, personality makeup and gift set of somebody who is an XP, what, what are some of the common things that you see? Yeah. Well, let me say this first, uh, when I think about that is I think sometimes a guy has to ask himself, if you're going to hire an ex- executive pastor. What's the nature of the relationship you want there? Is the relationship much more of a Paul and a Timothy where you're looking for a guy that you can, uh, have a lot of a mentoring type role with, or is it much more like a Lewis and Clark, which is like, as we're going down the road, yeah. I've got someone else I can explore and discover along with, um, you know, there is a, a mutual submission that takes place. And so as I'm working with Rodney a lot at Stonegate, there's a mutual submission that takes place. There's things that I'm stronger uh, at than he is. And he, there's things he's stronger than I am. Uh, but there's an appreciation and even security for who the Lord's made us both to be that I feel like a lot of the work we're doing is much more of a Lewis and Clark model where we're discovering new terrain and we're pioneering new ministry opportunities uh, together. So I think one is just even figuring out what that relationship is going to look like. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, some some attributes that come to mind, one is for me, is just uh, a real big bent toward curiosity. So an executive pastor is someone who uh, has to be willing to learn a lot of new things, uh, to explore and to figure out and to just be, basically be someone who can solve problems. Uh, your lead pastor is going to look at you at times and say, hey, here's the weak points of where the church is or where the ministry is or in order for us to uh, get this initiative done. And you've got to be uh, just someone who has a lot of figure it out wired into you, that you're curious by nature, that you're willing to, to fail forward and you're willing to take some chances uh, along the way. So I think if you're a guy who uh, maybe wants everything to be really clear and certain before you move forward in your work, an executive pastor role is going to be pretty tough for you. Mm. Uh, The other attribute that really comes to mind for me is, and I experienced this a lot when I was in the church planting mode, is um, you can be really busy and not get that much done. Um, And here's what I mean by that. I think there are two ways to look at ministry. There's a path and then there's a pasture. You'll talk to a lot of folks and they'll say, I'm really busy in ministry. I have a lot going on. And if you think about a pasture, you can move around a lot. An animal inside of a pasture can still move around, have a lot of activity, but they're not necessarily going somewhere versus the discipline and the focus to know how do I carve a path 
through all of these other uh, opportunities and all these things that are going on around me so that I actually get the most important things done. So an executive pastor ideally is functioning in a way of saying, I'm going to help us stay true to our, our mission. I'm going to help us walk down a path. I'm going to help us execute. Uh, one of the things that I think church plants struggle with a lot too is um, just a, a constant chasing of new visions and initiatives along the way where all of a sudden all the good things become the enemy of the most important thing along the way. So uh, a, a good executive pastor is going to help you avoid mission creep. They're going to yeah. push you back toward alignment. They're going to help you stay focused. You know, one of the phrases I'll often talk about with our team is let's just pick it and then stick it. So we're going to pick it and stick it. Uh, that doesn't mean we'll never come back and reconsider what our priorities are, but we're just not going to do that every other week or because someone read a new book or someone went to a conference right. this month. So instead, let's just pick it and stick it. And also, I think that gives you a lot of leadership credibility uh, with people. A lot of people just get leadership fatigue or you lose credibility unnecessarily with people in your church because you're just constantly shifting and changing direction. And I think that can really hurt you as a church. Yeah, man, that is there's a lot of wisdom there. And I, you know, I hear I hear the the phrase a lot. And I, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's very helpful. It's kind of connected to the the pastor and the, and the path analogy here that's so helpful is is working in the church and working on the church is that you know there are like obviously pastoral counseling um doing stuff with members um all, all that that is you are in there shepherding that is yeah. working in in the church um, but then also you have to have times where you work on it and go okay where are we headed what are we doing to to step back and go oh we actually aren't giving uh, any money to any ministry causes. We're not involved in anything in the community. We we have no foreign, no global, no local uh, missions emphasis. Uh, somebody has to step back and, and look at these things and go, where are we headed? Where should we be headed? What are we doing? Um, and how are we going to get there? So, I mean, that's, that's, that's so helpful to, to see. Uh, how could you help a guy who's wondering, okay, like you just said earlier, all right, we're at 70 people. I think we're ready for an executive pastor. Mm -hmm. um, okay, P probably not. Um, that probably doesn't need to be your first hire. So so when do you coach guys on when they should explore um, an executive pastor? Yeah, that's so let me comment on the, the 70 church guy and how you should be thinking about that moment. Um, you know, I think before your church gets really big uh, or even just grows a lot, uh, in those moments, the more you can stay hands-on and really focused on these four areas of your church, you're more likely to succeed and thrive. And I think even studies and statistics show that. So you've got to have a you got to have a kids ministry that feels safe, and you have to have a kids ministry that people want to come back to and participate in. So kids ministry just has to be on your radar as a lead guy. Uh, worship has to be it has to be good. It has to work. There has to be someone who's thinking about that and making that happen. Uh, preaching, just so important. Uh, you know, preaching has to be prioritized in the life of the church. And then the other one's just uh, whatever you're doing for discipleship and community, whether that's missional communities, whether that's community groups, whatever that looks like. So those are, are your core four. And as a church planter, you should be able to at all times have very, uh, I'd say, explicit clarity on who owns what there. So who are the the four people that are owning and driving those things forward? So before you're going off into all the other things that a church can can do, and they're, they're good things, is someone actually owning those things along the way? And then 
I think a church planter specifically, you're going to do your most important work on the group side, because that's where a lot of discipleship's happening in discipleship too. There's a lot of leadership development. That's where you're going to be able to identify more leaders and you're going to create culture and said culture, and you should focus on preaching. So the higher you should be thinking about is how do I get someone on the team that can make kids ministry really good and make worship really good. And uh, as I said before, you know, you get worried about the title. I'd be much more worried about just the function and then even inside the function of you really just need people on your team, especially if it's you're paying them dollars, if you're paying them any type of money who just can get stuff done. So whatever you want to call them, whatever their title is, can they get some stuff done? Um, you know, Michael Hyatt, he has this saying of like, man, just make sure you're hiring people where batteries are included. Mm. So where you're not constantly having to kind of get them going and, and moving along the way, but rather just have a bias toward action. So if, if you can hire folks that can help you get stuff done, at that phase, you're in great shape. The executive pastor role, I think it's much more of a moment where as the lead guy, you are finding yourself, I've got a couple staff that I've got to worry about. I've got multiple departments. I've got kids ministry and groups and connections and worship and uh, you and students. And and I'm, I'm finding myself distracted from being able to develop leaders and to develop elders and from preaching and teaching and setting the vision of the church. And so at that point, you really do need to raise your elevation some and find someone else who can come in and help you keep uh, the team and the mission of the church aligned and focused and that the strategies continue to play out. But I would actually warn a lot of guys, uh, be very careful of elevating too quickly. Uh, The best thing you have going in your church when you're small is that you can uh, be incredibly relational and warm and authentic with people coming into your church. And you also get to set the tone in the culture yeah. by being uh, on the ground a lot. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so wise. You know, I, I think I hear guys all the time when they think about their first hire, you know, a- after them and guys usually tend to gravitate, gravitate to executive pastor. I need to hire somebody this, you know, they want help. And I, I get mm-hmm. that. Um, but I think you are so right that children's I, I'm shocked by how many churches that can have, you know, 700 people, 500 people members, and they have a part-time children's person when that children's ministry, if you just go by sheer number of people, that is the largest ministry outside of the Sunday morning service that a church with 200 kids and a part-time children's person is, is not wise. Um, no, you've no. got to staff to it. Now the, I think they're great. Children's people are hard to find. Um, and so usually, I mean, they're really, really hard to find, but they are, it's but, one of the hardest hires to make in the church right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, like pray, pay well, yeah. um, you know, make yeah. it a desirable position. Um, but to staff to where the Lord is, is growing things. Um, not just what you think would be best for you, but what would be best for the church? I, I, I think that's that's the best decision yeah. we should be making. And, you know, Jeff, I'd say one other thing, too. I think a lot of times what guys are feeling, I felt this so much myself, too, uh, when planting a church, is um, I think the occupational hazard of church planting is discouragement. Uh, I just think it's the occupational hazard. Uh, the same way like black lung is to a coal miner is what discouragement is to a church planter. Uh, it's just so hard sometimes not to beat yourself up or to feel lonely. And I think so much of what they often want is just a, you know, is that friend, is that uh, partner who can uh, be an encourager? And I think that is a role of whether you're associate pastor, executive pastor, anyone on a team 
is to provide a lot of encouragement. You know, when you're leading a church, when you're planting a church, uh, man, it is so easy to get discouraged and to just have those days. I mean, I, I remember there were days where attendance was up and it felt like we had a really good energy and whatever it was. And I felt 10 feet tall, like, right. it was like walking and looking in a funhouse mirror. And I felt 10 feet tall. And then there were days in the summer where I think everyone decided to go to the lake and I felt like I was three feet tall. Uh, and it was just like walking. It's like funhouse mirrors where you're just one day you feel like a giant and the next day you just feel like, gosh, what am I doing? And so, um, if you can find voices and this is where a great elder team actually compensates and should be playing that function of providing lots of encouragement for that lead pastor, um, to do all you can to proactively counteract just the natural drift toward discouragement that any guy is going to feel in the pioneering work of church planting. When you mentioned lead pastors, um, this brings us to a really, I think a really important role to, to having an XP is having the, trying to differentiate what does the lead pastor still do and what does the executive pastor do? Who's going to lead the meetings? Who's going to be accountable for this? Who, like who really does what? So as you think about helping guys think through these two roles, how, how have you seen, what have you experienced as a helpful way to kind of mark out the, the different roles between a lead pastor and executive pastor? Yeah, you know, I think the first thing that you should do in that moment, and I kind of talked to Rodney about this years ago when I got to Stonegate, was, uh, man, like any good athletes that are on a team together, how can we get a lot of reps together so that I, over time, can begin to uh, have, have an intuitive sense of who you are and how you lead and how you make decisions and so that I can mimic and model that so that if someone's talking to you or talking to me, they're going to have a very similar, not just content experience, but also cadence experience that they're not going to go, man, those, those guys feel very different in how they make decisions or approach a problem or approach a situation. So I think in some ways I told him when I first got here, like, dude, I just need to follow you around for the first couple of months. I need to sit around you. I just need to be around you. Uh, like good athletes on a team, you just got to uh, develop that sixth sense, that intuition of like, man, I know how you would probably think about this. You know, how I would think about this. And the more you do that, it actually allows a lot of those other things to fall into place because over time I got a chance to just learn his strengths and things he's really good at. I could find ways that I could add value. I think he got to know me really well, but it also just uh, allowed us to have a good sense uh, instinctually of how the other one makes decisions. So I think uh, at the end of the day, it's it's always going to come down to my job is to uh, fill in uh, gaps and to add value, <clears throat> excuse me, into uh to what's going to make it more easy and I would say possible for Rodney to preach, uh, to cast vision and develop leaders around Stonegate. And so I'm often going, what can I take off his plate to help make that happen? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it will vary from guy to guy to from pastor to pastor, what, what your strengths may be, what, um, you know, your weaknesses may be. Um, I, I think there are things just you, you've got to navigate and figure out, but if you had to think, what are some things that a lead pastor should not give up? um, too soon, maybe, um, that he should continue to, to lead in this area, um, because he is the lead pastor or the senior pastor or the planting pastor or the lead pastor for preaching and vision or whatever title he has, whoever's doing the, the bulk of the preaching, what are some things that he, he should not, uh, delegate or even check out from? Yeah. I think the things you can never give up, no matter how big you get is, uh, the vision of the church, so, and I, I do think that takes a lot of time and even just work on a consistent basis of like, Lord, where are we going? And it doesn't mean uh, I'm not the guy who actually subscribes to the Moses model or one guy has to solve all that and figure it all out. 
But I do think when uh, you're the lead pastor, you do have a uh, uh, an expectation or uh, there's a responsibility there that you are thinking about that quite a bit, that you are uh, the one who's leading out in wh- whatever your elder team is, how that's constructed, uh, that you guys are thinking about that together um, in, a, in a really great way. So I'd say vision, then I would say preaching, and then I'd say leadership development. So I think that the the lead pastor has to always be engaged in saying, it's my job to think about how we're raising up elders, how we're raising up uh, church planters, how we're raising up leaders as this church goes forward. And then another one that I think too, it doesn't mean the lead guy has to do it only, but I think lead guys can never completely move away from it is also just the responsibility of fundraising, you know, and it's just one of those areas where as a church grows, you've got to get comfortable with talking about money, uh, with asking for money, with, uh, doing all those moments that come along the way where you're also taking financial leadership for the church and not just abdicating that to a guy who's really good at spreadsheets and numbers. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen a lot of guys wind up in uh, tough spots where maybe some things were going sideways financially and not even from a moral standpoint, but maybe just giving was down or you weren't meeting certain financial expectations and they just kind of like had washed their hands of it and they're not aware of it till Mm. like six, seven months later. And then, uh, then they just find themselves surprised. And I just don't think you can abdicate being financially uh, aware and also up to speed on what's going on in your church. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, I think, you know, at, in, the, in the office of an elder, there are still those areas that are laid out of doctrine, um, dollars, decisions. Um, I think there's a few others that are, that are listed out in there, but yeah, it, just because you have an executive pastor doesn't mean you also check out from also still serving as serving as an elder. Well, Ryan, is there anything else like in, in the realm of executive pastors or staff or culture or anything else that, that you want to share before we get to our final three questions? Yeah. You know, man, I think, uh, the more you can answer just some of those basic questions, um, at, at the front end, if you're a lead pastor and you're thinking about an executive pastor, the more you can kind of provide context for what are you really looking for? Are you looking uh, for someone to come alongside you that can help get some things done and to help you uh, have a line strategy uh, that that help? Or are you looking for a guy that's actually going to uh, be like what we were talking about before, almost an associate pastor? It's important to just know what you're looking for. Um you know, one of the areas I've seen a lot of guys uh, just even uh, get tripped up a little bit is just knowing how do I make decisions? And uh, am I more a guy who's uh, risk averse? Am I a guy who's wanting to uh, just in some ways hand over a lot of that decision making stuff to someone else? Or am I a guy who's like, I'm looking for a collaborative team along the way. So the more you can kind of just think about who you are and what you need in an executive pastor as your church gets more complicated, I think that's going to help you solve that more effectively. Yeah. Yeah. For, now for all, I just thought of this for all the executive pastors that are listening, cause I'm sure they maybe saw the Instagram mm-hmm. post or like, Oh, XP's okay. And, and they're like, <laughs> the, finally for me. And they're, they're yeah. jumping in. What are some, um, if you're coaching and developing guys, are there resources or books? You're like, Hey, definitely read this, check this out. Think through, think through this, go to this conference or, or whatever it be. Maybe there's a, I know there is an excellent executive pastor leadership cohort um, that's either begun or is, is beginning. Um, h- how would you coach guys on developing as a, as a XP? Yeah. I, you know, I think honestly the best way to develop it is to surround yourself with other guys that are doing it. So uh, to find a, a group, whether it's uh, executive pastor cohorts or conferences or gatherings or um, even just uh, um mailing lists, whatever that is, uh, I think you have to dev- develop a network of guys 
uh, the, there's just so many uh, things that kind of come your way and even problems that you're not even going to be up to speed on. And also too, like why reinvent the wheel? Yeah. So just like a lead pastor role, the more you can find uh, some peers that you can trust and build some relationships with, that's going to be huge. And uh, I, I think one of the best ways to do that right now, and I'm so thankful for Acts 29 doing a lot of it, is in that cohort model where you can get around some peers along the way. Yeah. So I, I think that one's huge. Yeah. So. And I think if you're not even, if you're not able to participate in the X29 XP cohort, um, you know, there's nothing stopping you from reaching out to other X29 guys in your city, um, to other like-minded churches in your city and beginning that organic uh, relationship, learning together, uh, sharing best practices, sharing wisdom and um, nothing stop you from doing that. You, you can do that today. Okay. Okay, Ryan, final, final three questions uh, we'd like to ask everybody that comes on the show. Uh, what's a great book you've read recently that you want to recommend? Uh, I mean, probably the best book uh, I read in the last year, and we just took our staff through it, uh, is Managing Leadership Anxiety mm. by Steve Cuss. And uh, I, I think it's just, a, you know, there's, there's such a propensity in all of us to focus on all the, um, the hard skills of ministry. And uh, the more we can kind of get a sense of uh, what what is the um, what's the cause of our anxiety and what's going on there, and then how is it affecting the way I manage and lead and show up and how am I present with people? Um, I just think that's such a fruitful area for us yeah. all to be curious about and consider along the way. So, managing leadership anxiety has been a, a really helpful uh, uh, book in that vein. You know, one of the things that we just took away a concept even as a team from it was. Uh, Every leader is going to have a little bit of a struggle, whether you either struggle with failure of nerve, which is I have to have that hard conversation or say that hard thing mm. or make that hard decision, or a failure of heart, which means a lot of us might actually be more prone to where we can say the hard thing and have the hard conversation, but we end up actually uh, closing off our heart and just doing it a very cold, callous way. Mm. And here's ministry that's calling us to avoid these ditches, which is like a failure of nerve or a failure of heart. And so uh, I, I forget, it might've been Spurgeon. Uh, we'll just attribute it to him. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, well, why not? He won't mind. But it's just that old adage of uh, how do I have the height of a rhinoceros, but the heart of a child? And uh, gosh, to make it through ministry with just all the slings and arrows, the ups and downs, the discouragement, and to keep your heart soft, but also to not take every uh, difficult moment as a, a fatal wound. I just think that that's the work of the spirit. Uh, but it's also just one of those things that we have to constantly be cultivating in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay. Ryan, what's something you do for fun? You know, man, uh, one of the things I've been doing, uh, the last couple of years is a lot of barbecuing. So I got a smoker and, uh, man, it feels so stereotypical being in Texas, (laughs) but, uh, there is nothing more fun than kind of just, uh, smoking a brisket or uh, I've done, you know, some some dinosaur ribs, oh. you know, kind of those Fred Flintstone ribs oh, yeah. the last couple of years. And so I've just kind of I'm kind of the guy, uh, you know, in the Enneagram world of five in that space. So I am definitely going to nerd out on a subject and kind of do a deep dive rap uh, yeah. down the YouTube rabbit trails and all of that. And so, man, barbecuing has been a lot of fun messing around with a smoker, uh, doing some of those things the last couple of years um, has been a lot of fun. Yeah, so, that is fun. I yeah. I smoke. You know, as long as my butcher has it, I smoke a turkey breast every weekend. Every weekend? Every weekend. Five pound wow. turkey breast. It takes less than three hours. Just the Aaron yeah. Franklin method, just salt and pepper. It's unreal. We eat it every every day. Uh, the whole family does. It's it's so fun. But I did a, a pork butt 
recently. Okay. And then we had yeah. a we had a nacho night and we had just uh pulled pork nachos. I smoked that. It was delicious. So good. All the meat church rubs, which the meat church people, they're close to you guys. They're really close, just right down the road. Yeah, yeah. that's right in our area. Oh, have man. you have you done a salmon? Have you done salmon no. on there? No. Okay. Salmon's amazing. And it only takes like, you know, 60 minutes or so. You throw salmon on there. Uh, it's delicious. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go buy me some salmon, S- smoke some salmon this weekend. I'm, I'm going to make it happen. Okay. F- final question. I, I think the, the best question we ask on, on all these shows is what's your favorite verse um, or maybe a verse that's like meaning a lot to you right now or a book of the Bible. We can expand it a little um, that just has, it means a lot to you that, that the Lord's using in your life. Yeah, man, I, I did not grow up in the church. I grew up in a pretty chaotic, broken home, uh, some, uh, substance abuse and dysfunction around me. And, uh, I, uh, I, I remember I, I got to college and, uh, campus crusade. I walked by one of their tables and actually that was the first time I was given a Bible and, and just started reading it. And uh, the verse that changed my life, that kind of just uh, turned the lights on for me spiritually, uh, was Second Corinthians five twenty one, and uh, just that realization that God made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that I would become the righteousness of God. And uh, man, I've just hung basically my entire life on that verse. Um, just encapsulates so much of the totality of the gospel, the the Father heart of God for me. And also um, just a, a deep hope, too, that um, the Lord will sustain me and persevere me uh, through trials and struggles um, a- along the way. So Second Corinthians 5.21 is, has, has been that life verse for me. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. A great gospel word uh, for, for us to end on today. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the Acts 29 podcast, brother. It's great to have you on. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of the X29 podcast. You can go to podcast at X29.com there in your email and send us some questions. We would love to hear from you. And as always, I'm your host, Jeff Metters, and let's keep planting churches to the ends of the earth.